Welcome to the Knife Journal Podcast. <laughs> NPR voice. Today, <laughs> today is episode 102 in the kinder, more gentler way of doing the podcast. So here am I, James Noka, my esteemed colleague, Kyle Versteeg, and we will today fill your evening with a very quiet podcast. There'll be no screaming, there'll be no ranting, there'll be nothing like that. It'll be very nice. But that was all a lie! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we have, a, we have a whole bunch of stuff to get into today. Let's rock and roll! Alright, so... Uh, there's actually some kind of neat knives coming out. Uh, and a knife that... Um, I want you to look up and tell look me what up. you think. Okay. So... Yeah, look it up. Um, there's uh, Tops Knives just released a chopper knife called the El Chete. Oh, C-H- I saw that. I saw that yesterday and I was like... Oh, I wonder if that's related to that. I wonder if that's the kind that the knife, uh, or that the um, the drug lord used to use to behead people. Oh, um, I thought it was El Chapo. Chapo, yeah. Well, I don't. I have no idea where they came up with the name, but it's it's a thirty ounce chopping knife uh, that's quarter inch thick steel. Um, it's ten made out of ten ninety five, and I wonder. I guess well, I, don't, I guess I didn't see any of the other stats, but I know they want 240 bucks for it. And let's see. Well, why did I find that so easy this morning, and now I can't? Well, the blade length is 12 inches. Overall length is 17.5. Uh, 1095. Anyway, um, designed by Leo uh, Espinoza. Comes with a black kydex sheath. I guess like. I think the blade shape is like perfect um, because it's got a nice uh, gentle curve to it um, and that actually ends up looking a lot like the forged parangs that I make that exact shape pretty much you could almost take a photoshop of one of something I do so they did that right the only thing I would see about it that I maybe would change would be the handle because um, uh, they they did the uh, the broken bottom part of the handle where you, you're supposed to like have your index finger up uh, in a little notch there. And then at the back of the handle, they have like a little bird's beak. And then the uh, handle scales um, are pretty much flat slab with some uh, quarter rounds oh, is it, around the is edge. Is it called El Chete? Yeah, C-H-E-T-E. Yeah. You can okay. you can get it right on the tops knives thing, but right. Why, I'm curious why I thought it was El Chapo. Well, because that's the name that you're probably thinking of. That it sounds similar or whatever. Anyway, I love the blade shape. Um, I'd probably change the handle a little bit uh, because you use that. I you know having used a machete quite a bit. Um, I would say that you're going to develop hot spots on that really, really quickly. But, but the good news is, is if you know how to use a machete and you know, um, 
you know, how to hit things and that you don't have to chop all the way through the thing you're trying to cut down. You can just chop a couple times on each side and then bend it over. Like if you know some tricks, that blade and the blade shape and the weight of that blade is really going to do a pretty fantastic job for you. So maybe you won't be using it long enough to get some hot spots, but uh, I don't know. It's it's definitely not like a grass machete. I think the, the mistake a lot of people make is they get these really thin, wobbly machetes that are more meant for doing like grass and stuff like that, and then they try to use it on um, you know shelter prep for like a small tree or something like that. Um, right. This this would definitely be a nice heavy duty chopper. I just would change the handle a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean even. Living in the North Country, the notion of a machete up here is basically useless. <laughs> well, I, I disagree. Um, if <clears throat> if you're not trying to cut down trees, <laughs> you know, well, because, what would you cut down? Well, because if you go out, so so let me give you an example, right? I mean, um, we have no elephant grass. We have no right. So that's the that's the what you're talking about is a, a traditional machete that you right. would use to get through underbrush and that kind of shit. And we do have some of that, um, but um, what I mean is like a like a heavier machete, like this one, the El Chete. Mm -hmm. they, that they're they're not really uh, marketing it as a machete. They're more. It seems like they're more marketing it as a chopper. Right. And so I, I do think that there's utility for a chopper up here, but you're you're going to have to understand what you're using it for like say say you wanted to build a little elevated swamp bed or something like that you're not going to go and cut down an eight inch thick tree to do that you're going to find little saplings and in the woods up here there are little saplings suitable for shelter building are all over the place right and a, and right. a, a little bit heavier chopper like this is going to be perfect because you're going to whack one side then you're going to spin 90 degrees whack the other side and probably by then, just with two whacks, you'll be able to pull the tree over. Um, certainly by three, um, you'd be able to do it. Um, but, you know, the, I guess the mistake people make is when they're trying to build a shelter, they try to build it like this big crazy thing and not actually, I don't know, they, they overbuild it when it's supposed to be something that's, you know, like to hold up a tarp. Or, you know, something simple like that. You know, if you want to go after, like, logs and trees and shit like that, you know, the tool of choice is a chainsaw. <laughs> right. You know, or a big right. axe. I, I'd or, much or, rather have a chainsaw. <laughs> right. But uh, anyway, so I, I saw although, that. Although, I, you know what? I was, uh, <clears throat> I cut down an ash tree the other day, one of the dead ashes that was that died alongside my house. Yeah. I kind of waited, I kind of waited for, uh. To think maybe by chance it might survive, but it didn't. So I so I took it down because it was getting too close. You know, it was too close to the house that if it fell, it was going to do damage. So I cut it down. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> it was kind of funny because the tree is huge. The tree was ginormous. Mm -hmm. But some of the limbs were, you know, six inches, four, five to six inches. That. Um, as I was getting, you know, trying to cl clear everything out, I ended up using my axe uh, to to um, to to put those six inch pieces in like six foot lengths. Yeah, you know, three three swipes with my axe, and it and it was and I was in two. 
uh-huh. you know, so I so I was I used my axe quite a bit on that uh, on that tree, mm-hmm. um, just to get the get logs into a manageable size where I I well, didn't yeah. have to chainsaw them up into smaller pieces. And yeah, I, I always bring an axe and a sledge or something like that along when I'm gonna yeah. fell a tree, or at least I try to remember to do that because you know it, sometimes you need it for <clears throat> stupid shit. You know, like yep. you get your chainsaw stuck. Having a couple wedges is real nice. You know. Yep. Yep. So. Yep. Anyway, yep. so so that was yeah that's a, um, that was uh that was kind of fun and and, and you know what if you're um, if you're a, a guy that likes sharp things you know there's nothing wrong with swinging an axe a little bit yeah practice you know, a little just don't ram it into your shin <laughs> right right yeah righty o okay yeah, always cut cut make your make sure your legs are far apart <laughs> yep so or your yeah I mean Moore's Moore's chapter on um, axe use is fantastic in that book, Bushcraft. Like, if you follow what he says, um, you're probably not going to injure yourself. Although an axe is still a very dangerous tool, and you still have to kind of use a little bit of sense about things. Yeah, Um, I love to throw them. What's, uh, yeah, throwing them is fun. I Actually, later this year, I think I might build like an axe target where you take a two-by-four and you cut it into short little pieces and you put them on end in a big square and then put that square on like an easel or something. Yep. I'm thinking yep, about yep, yep. that because uh, I was going to do that for axes and I was thinking about making a throwing knife at some point, but yeah. I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, throwing axes is a lot of fun. If you have not uh, have not tried that, that is a blast. Yeah. That is a blast. Um, have you made it? Have you made an axe yet? No, I, it's too much steel for me to screw with. You, you really, for me, I would really need a one of those auto hammers to be able to do that um, with any kind of comfort. Um, just be, and then you need a, you, well, I don't know that you need it, but I would need some sort of a tool to make the eye. You yeah. know, and it's it's just a it's an art form that the guys that do it, you know, God love you. I just am not at the point where. I'm really super interested in doing that. Um, yeah. You could. Well, I know the. I know the guys that uh, that that make tomahawks have a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying anything wrong with doing that. I just am not. It's just not my thing, you know. Yeah. Um, another knife I want people to look at, and this leads into a big story. So. Uh, Jim and I actually recorded this podcast a few days ago, and we had some audio issues. So this is a re-record, and since that time, some exciting developments have happened. So there's this knife that Benchmade is now shipping called the uh, Benchmade 319 Proper, P-R-O-P-E-R. And it's a slip joint, and it's like a little awesome slip joint. It's like a modified sheep's foot. Um, where the it's modified in that the there's a, a gentle curve where the tip sweeps up just a little bit, so it's not straight flat across. Uh, it has a lot of the blade shape of one of my all-time favorite knives, still in my pocket almost every day, the Spyderco Rhodey. But I think this might be a little bit bigger. Um, I haven't had one in hand yet, but I have two on order, and we'll get to that. Anyway, the... It has a 2.86 inch blade. Uh, it's S30V, uh, modified a little bit. 
the weight of the thing is 2.3 ounces and currently it comes with either a red G10 handle or a brown G10 handle and the red G10 handles are limited um, so the story and I'm like super excited about getting this knife so the story about it is is I found this thing and uh, I have a website everybody should check out because I think this is the cat's ass of all knife websites it's called knifenews.com and I've never met the guy but I'm telling you this site is great because uh, every every day he gets something new on there and uh, he he's very very up-to-date with the new stuff and he at least on some of the stuff that he's uh, putting up there, it really trips my trigger, like this uh, Benchmade Proper. Um, so anyway, I found this article on there, and then uh, there was a link to click through where you could buy it. And so I clicked through, and I just I just ordered a red one and a brown one, and I hit submit, and you know whatever. That's the end of it in most times. Well, like an hour later, the guy that owns the website called me personally. Like it was amazing. So I, I want to give him a plug. Uh, the name of the company is Razor Sharp Unlimited dot uh, com. R A Z O R Sharp Unlimited dot com. Um, the guy's name is Mike. It's it's literally just a no. It's David. I'm sorry, David. It's literally just a mom and pop shop. Uh, the guy's name is David. The uh, wife's name is Kim and they've got a son Nick that runs it and it's a little teeny little shop in in Florida but it's a brick and mortar store and he gets like everything in there so the guy calls me and it turned into like an hour and a half conversation because ah. um, he, he he you know he's passionate about it and all this and uh, we were talking about different things and you know uh, but one of the things he wanted to do was offer our listeners a discount code um, so for the next 60 days, if you go to RazorSharpUnlimited.com uh, and you order some stuff and you put in this discount code in your checkout, it, there'll be like a discount code or coupon code thing in your in your checkout card cart. If you put this in for the next 60 days, uh, you'll get a significant amount of money off. So there's a there's a minimally advertised price, so he can't advertise as low as he's going to give it to you, but you're going to get things, um, depending on the company, uh, below minimally advertised <coughs> price, which I thought was pretty cool. So the code oh, is... Yeah. You ready? Drum roll. KJP60. Um, and, and so, obviously, Knife Journal Podcast 60, but KJP60... And the six zero is to remind you that it's only for sixty days. Now the other thing is is that it's uh, it's good one time per customer. So if if you in the next sixty days if you have a couple things that you're real hot on, um, you know at least look at the site. Uh, you'll probably get a phone call from the guy. And uh, um, anyway. So far, I've been really impressed, and their prices are good. And plus, it's a mom and pop, actual brick and mortar knife store, and we we tend that makes to a huge those. difference, doesn't it? Yeah, we we really support the heck out of those on um, the podcast. Anytime we find them, uh, the other idea he brought up, and we need to think about this. And people can send us uh, emails, uh, podcast at knifejournal.com. 
The other thing he brought up is we can do a group buy if we want. And basically, you know, you figure out the number, the type of knife that you want to order and the number you want to order, uh, and then you get a big discount by ordering in bulk like that. So, you know, I, I don't have anything on the top in the forefront of my mind that I am, am, am wanting, but I'm, I figured, you know, maybe some people on the podcast, if there's a real hot knife that a bunch of people want to order, maybe we can set that up through our uh, Knife Journal podcast Facebook page and, and try to figure out, um, you know, how to do it. Uh, but anyway, so there's a group buy possibility here if you guys want to do it and if you guys all can settle on a knife that you'd buy. Uh, the other thing is, is that he will laser engrave them for 10 bucks a piece with whatever you want to put on there. So we what, could put what, what's like... The, um, what was the uh, website again? Razor Sharp... Unlimited.com. Yep. R-A-Z-O-R sharp unlimited.com. And uh, um, I talked to him this morning. The uh, Red G10, he had one of them left this morning. Um, ah. they're, they're kind of a limited run. I got uh, 292. So, um, and I if James hasn't bought it already, he probably will. Uh, anyway, um, so give it a look, you know, uh, kind of a neat thing and, and hopefully if we, uh, get together on the, on the, uh, Facebook page and people send us emails, we can try to figure out a group by, um, other knife news. I wanted to, uh, draw attention to the fact that one of our many, many, many time guests, uh, on the podcast, uh, T.M. Hunt, owner of uh, T.M. Hunt Custom Knives, maker of the world-famous M18, uh, is now selling stuff through Smoky Mountain Knife Works. So I wanted to send a big congratulations to him. Oh, nice. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, um, that's a big thing where you, you can have your um, knives sold on a you know a big top place like Smoky Mountain Knife Works or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, another guy, big, long-time friend of the podcast, been a guest many times, uh, Murphy, Corey Murphy. He has a podcast now, uh, and it, he's got he's 18 episodes in, and I think he's epi- uh, doing a different one. And I've listened to it, and it's kind of like, uh, kind of like what we do, uh, like the with a little bit of a Joe Rogan twist to it. So if you want to find that, you would look up Murph Nuge Podcast on SoundCloud or just Google search it and you'll find it right away. M-U-R-P-H-N-U-G-E Podcast. Uh, anyway, give it a listen. Uh, I get a kick out of it. Um, you guys probably will too. Yeah, he's pretty funny. Yeah, he. well, and then, I mean, it's uh, a lot of times them kind of sitting around... Uh, bullshitting and drinking beer <laughs> well I, you know i was just gonna say you know alcohol is involved i can't wait to hear that that uh hey hold my beer for a second yeah well <laughs> i'm sure that there's a lot of that I, I i've only listened to a little bit of a couple different episodes so i haven't I haven't listened to the whole run but what i listened to i enjoyed yeah it's funny um so it's on my <clears throat> list of ones to kind of go through here um that's all my knife news what do you got? Well, um, 
was talking to a good friend this morning, and we were talking about um, blade steels and having a having a grand old time with that. And uh-huh. I almost want to throw down a gauntlet and have uh, have an have an S thirty V blade and a crewwear blade. Which crewwear? Uh, Explain that. Uh, it's a blade steel. It's it's F. Well, hang on a second. It's S thirty V with I think more something. Okay. I, I have no clue, clue what that I'll is. Tell, I got this uh, app. Um, it's actually a pretty decent app. I got to find it now on my phone. Uh, that's talks about blade steel. Uh-huh. And um, okay, no, we might have to take a break here for a second while I look for it. But it's a uh, um, it's an app that deals with uh, blade steel. So you, there it is. Knife steel. It's called. Uh, what's it called? Rate this app, about this app. It's called Knife Steel Composition Database version 1.80, and it is uh, from ZK Knives. Mm-hmm. And basically, what it is is uh, a whole list of uh, um, a whole list of blade steels, and you can compare them head to head. So you can look at uh, CPM crew wear and S30V and compare them. Yeah, and it the, gives you the it gives you the description of it, and you can go you can look at it head to head, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty interesting looking at uh, um, looking at these two different steels and saying, uh, okay, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand why everybody's freaking out over this when we already have it. Yeah, well, you I know, mean that kind of stuff. That's why I, you know, I've, I've, kind of stayed away from worrying about a lot of these super steels and things. And and the other thing is, is that something that I heat treat one at a time uh, in my computer controlled heat treat oven, like according to the specs, is going to be very different from the same thing manufactured on mass. Right. Um, you know, so really. Yes, the steel is important, um, but I think that probably the end product has a lot to do with more to do with how it was heat treated than than um, you know the right. actual molecular it's, makeup of the steel. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it ends up being that you you end up thinking about uh, you know it, it, I mean, it basically defies um, logic, I guess, sometimes when you. Uh, when you have people freaking out over a particular blade steel and they don't they can't even tell you why you know why it's so good cuz yeah. cuz cuz i guess the dust that collects on it maybe won't collect on <laughs> yeah well it's i i think it's like uh it's like anything um somebody <clears throat> somebody who's absolutely incapable of pushing the limits of a um, certain sport bike, like 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 let's say uh, GXR 1000. Very very few people are ever going to be able to even approach the limits of what that bike can do without killing themselves. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they'll lust after a Hayabusa, which is even more, f- f- which is even further out of their realm of possibility of actually making use of it. And it, I think it's just like. You know, the same thing like, um, I've got a real vicious dog. And it's like, well, so what? <laughs> you know, like, it's, why? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, 
I kind of like a nice dog, you know. I don't really want a big nasty dog that tries to bite people and stuff. Right. Um, yeah, it makes you it makes you wonder though. I mean, it does make you wonder as to why people, you know, why the what, what this is all about. I guess I don't really, um, I don't really understand the whole. It doesn't make any sense to me, but but I think that a lot of it has to do with guys that really do not understand what what the difference is capable of because they don't they buy them such a high end knife that there's no way they're ever going to use it. Yeah, you know that's the only thing that makes sense to me is that you know I have one and that's it. And it's the only reason to have one is because it's more well, expensive and it's more unique yeah. and you know yeah. So really. The only I I use two main types of steel. I I just wanted a stainless and I wanted a high carbon. And yeah. so I, I th- the only reason I picked them is because number one, I have a good supplier for each kind of steel that gives it to me at a reasonable price with uh, good consistent quality. And number two, I understood the heat treat and knew people who were heat treating it who could who could help me. And so the the two main I, and I've used some goofball steels and stuff, but the the two main ones that I use are the S35VN and the O1 tool steel. And again, it's not like I'm making some claim that oh my god, this is the greatest blah blah blah. Um, but I wanted a you know quote unquote stainless, and I wanted a high carbon. And those were the two that, like I said, met my criteria. Can I get it easily? Is it good quality consistently? And can I heat treat it? And so beyond that, I don't really care what what the steel is as long as it performs well. And if it's properly heat treated uh, and the knife is properly made um, and the edge geometry is right and the knife is designed correctly for what you're using it for, you're going to be fine no matter what the steel is. So Yeah, well, I'm using unobtainium. Mm. That was in Avatar, very, that movie Avatar. Very rare, very rare, very rare metal. Yeah. Very rare. <laughs> right. Um, that's my that's my favorite blade steel, unobtainium. Right, <laughs> that was in Avatar. <laughs> they were like mining unobtainium on some planet, and these blue things kicked their ass. Yep, it was yep. great. It's magic steel. Let's see. So, uh, um, I did this morning. I put a I put a thing up on Facebook. Uh, what What do you want us to cover? So I'm gonna broach a few of those subjects. Some of them I'm just gonna leave alone. So one guy. And I won't say his name because he didn't tell me to. Says uh, there's been an increasing amount of knife makers talking about knife-related posts getting blocked on Facebook and Instagram. I've even had several blocked in the past few weeks. Curious on y'all's take on this and on possible new emerging social marketplace ideas for mark knife makers. And always feel free to bash on some hipsters. Thanks. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I think uh, I. Th- I have not. I mean, I know that. Uh, <clears throat> I know that we can't uh, advertise because I've tried to advertise. Can't? What's that? The podcast can't or? Nope, nope. And I've really? tried to. I've tried to advertise uh, the podcast. I've tried to advertise the uh, um, American Knife Company. Man, you can't do it. Weird, because. That must be a very recent thing. Now, honestly, I haven't put up any ads recently for burst egg blades because I just don't have the time to meet the orders. Um, but they never had any problem taking my my ads. Yeah. But 
I don't know. That must be a new thing. Maybe maybe it's the name. Maybe they don't really know that you're a knife company. But yeah, I know the Knife Journal podcast. A knife yeah. must be. In fact, I'll do it right now. I'll. Uh, uh, hang on a second. Let me get to. Uh, let me get to the page. <clears throat> now, does uh, um, for that for that coupon code, should we uh, um. Knife Journal Podcast. Okay. Yeah. Well, for the coupon code, while you're looking that up, I just would reiterate, if you're thinking well, about I mean, buying I... more than one knife, buy them all at once, because you only get to use that coupon code once, and this is, you're probably, depending on the company, going to come in um, below MAP, which is a pretty fantastic thing. Well, what I'm thinking is, should I put that, can I put that on uh, the the Facebook page? Yeah, why not? Okay, so so the 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 coupon code KJP six zero KJP six zero. Yep, six zero. Yep. Okay. The, and it's uh, RazorSharpUnlimited.com. Razor with a Z. We're not British or whatever. One of those socialist countries. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. Had to troll you a little bit. Um, um, and then I'll and then I'll try to advertise it. I'll bet you a dollar I can't. Uh, huh. Can't do it. They might let you set it up. So while you're doing that, um, another guy that we know real well, Kyle Daly, he's been on the podcast because he was one of the OGs of the Great Lakes Island bug out. And he says, uh, I've not had any posts blocked yet. I've been asked for advertising thousands of times. And then it says, you cannot advertise weapons. Right. Uh, and he says, then quit asking me to ap- advertise. Um, so uh, everybody should check out his site. I'm going to give him a little ad. K H D-A-I-L-Y knives.com khdailyknives.com He's doing some pretty neat stuff. I think you'll like it. Plus, he's a friend of the podcast. Um, Always try to throw our friends a little recognition. Uh, And if you want to be our friend, we're real approachable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're pretty easy to get along with. Come on the podcast or whatever, you know. Okay, so so I'm just going to promote the Knife Journal podcast page. Okay. People I people you choose are through targeting. Um, budget, daily budget, five bucks. And let's do it for seven days. Okay. Run this ad until May 16th, and I'll use my PayPal account, and I will promote. Submitting your promotion. We'll see what happens. And you heard it here live. Yeah, live. Is this yep. a first? Okay, so I'm targeting men and women between 18 and 65 who live in uh, United States <laughs> and, and have five interests. Oh, that was stormy. Okay, and so there you go. We'll see how that see how that works out for us. <clears throat> We'll see if, I mean, Knife Journal podcast is, I mean, that's, we're just talking about weapons. Well, th- no, they're tools for us. 
tools, whatever. No, seriously, I don't use a knife as a weapon. Do you? No. Right. So it's not a weapon. No, I mean you're right, but that's that's the whole point is that they're saying that it's a weapon. Right. Did it go through? Well, I don't know. It starts, so we'll see. But I think they they got to examine it. Oh yeah. So eventually, um, we'll have an answer to that uh, as it. Because I think they have to look at it and make sure it's okay, and then they'll either tell you yes or no or whatever. Right. Uh, okay, so then also uh, KH Daily writes, uh, I've been thinking about making a Nesmuk knife for a while. Uh, there seems to be tons of different sizes and variation. Is there a size you guys have used that works better than another? And then another guy that we know responded to him, uh, and his name is Randy Oliver, and he's um, been on the podcast before quite a bit. Uh, he writes, uh, Nesmuk knives. Uh, Nesmuk's knife was uh, pretty thin because he used it as a spoon to eat with. Uh, part of the reason for the weird shape. Uh, woodworking was done with his folder. If you're on the thin side, they are wonderful cutters and handy, as he intended. Seen a bunch of them that looked good but were too thick to get the intended usefulness so what i would say is um i'm almost positive that you can find some actual images of like an actual nesmuk knife that he carried and i would just recreate one of those and put your own spin on it well like maybe with a little bit more comfortable handle or something like that but i i would second um randy oliver's comment that it should be a nice thin thin well you know what's interesting about the whole thing was if you read Nussmuck's writings, I don't know where Randy got the spoon thing, but it, it could be true, but I never saw anything like that. Um, I always thought that that whole blade thing was another blade that broke that he started using for a knife. I don't. I mean, there was never any production of that knife. No, yeah, it, it, but, but um, the, the the one knife that he was that he was always taught. You see the drawings and everything. Yeah, um, was a. I, I, as I recall, um, at some point in time, somebody laid over another knife image over the top of it and saw that it fit, and it was like the tip, the front half of the blade had broke off. It was some it, kind it of was, a butcher knife. It was probably knife. a trader knife. Well, some kind of a, some kind of a butcher like a or trader knife, or something, something like that. Like that. Yeah, some, yeah, it was something like that. But it wasn't anything, um, in fact, to be honest about it, it's not a very useful knife. That's why everybody's made it thicker. Because his description, it was way too thin. And and remember, he never did anything with it. Hmm. He just ate with it. That was all he used it for. Yeah. Because he used... A, he, he didn't... I mean, he carried a small haversack. Uh-huh. He carried a small... Uh, with, with a bedroll in it. And then he carried a small tent. Uh, canvas tent. Uh-huh. But it was a three-sided tent, and it wasn't very big. Hmm. And, he, and he carried it in a canoe, and he used an axe for chopping, and a and a um, uh, a muskrat uh, pocket knife, or a moose pocket knife, I guess it was not a muskrat, a moose. Okay. And so the between the three tools is what is he got his job accomplished. Well. Yeah. You know, and what what I think the phase of the Nesmuk knife was everybody was trying to do was make a make a Nesmuk knife that you could use and chop with, 
and do other oh, things with. Oh, that's just stupid. You know, and that's what, and it was like, oh, okay, well, that's about as stupid a knife as it gets right there. I mean, you know, there's that's not what the intention of it was. The intention was never to use it as a chopping tool. Yeah. It was always used, and, and if it was to use, like what Randy was saying, if it was to use be used as a spoon or a, or a method of putting food in your mouth, I guess I, I can understand why you'd want it to be a little thinner than, you know, as thick as an axe. Yeah. Well, so... I, I mean, honestly, it, it kind of looks like one of those old hickory <laughs> trading knives. Well, yeah. I mean, that's... Um, that maybe, like you said, got broken or something. You know, I could see where it'd be... Uh, the thing the thing that attracts me to it is it looks kind of old school. And honestly, that's the end of it. Um, the only thing I would say is that it looks kind of old school like a butcher knife. And, yeah, well, uh, that's what I... I always thought it was some kind of a, a, a Green River skinning knife that broke. Yeah, exactly, a Green River um but uh maybe maybe I'll make one and just play around with it and see see if I like it or not you know honestly i kind of i kind of know what I like already and I like the um I like the compact forest by American knife company and then um I like you know any, pretty much anything I can use you know I right. don't I don't, I'm not, but right now that's the knife I'm really kind of hot on, um, and I well, don't you know, know that funny. this. Is, I don't know that a Nesmuk is really going to add anything, except I do like the looks of them. You know what I mean? You know what's kind of funny? I, I, I uh, Jimmy came home from, and I think I might have mentioned this. Jimmy came home from uh, uh, China last time, and he came through Russia, and he brought me a. Um, yeah, we talked about that on the last podcast. Okay. You know, and, and those those kind of knives, you look at who and what they're using those for. And if uh-huh. you get a chance, watch uh, uh, what's that what's that movie? Happy People. Uh-huh. Uh huh. A year in the Taiga. Um, highly recommended, people. If you have not seen this video, I th- I don't know if it's on Amazon or Netflix or I think it's on Netflix. Uh huh. Happy People. Um, a year in the life. A year in the life. In the taiga, I think is the is the way the title is, uh-huh. and it's um it's the people that live in northern Siberia, or Siberia that are um, trapping for a living. I mm-hmm. mean, little bitty villages in the middle of nowhere, and guys go out, you know, for ninety days at a time, li- you know, live off the land, live in the woods, uh, and basically they use an axe and and a, a knife that looks very similar to the forest knife. Yeah. And that's all they use, guys. That's it, you know. And and these guys are. And if you get it, if you watch this movie or this, it's actually a documentary. If you watch this documentary, you seriously start looking at all these silly knives that these survival guys are designing, and you go, "What the hell? What are you guys thinking? Why would you? Why would you try to do anything more than what these guys are doing with these knives? Why would you think that your design is so much better?" Then what this guy's doing, and he's he's skinning Martin, and he's building a cabin with his knife. Yeah, there's another um, there's another kind of show like that, Alone in the Wilderness. Did you see that? Right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. I love that. I love that show. I've got yep. it on DVD, and I have the book. Let me let me just bring up <clears throat> if, the guy's name. If you if you have not, have you seen that movie? The Which? You're it's, in the Taiga. Uh-uh. But anyway, this guy's name is Dick Prenicky. 
Yeah, G R O E N N E K E. And he That guy went up there when he was 50 years old. Yeah, I know. And he and he did lived there for good. 30 years. Yeah, I did pretty good, I think. Anyway, yep. uh So yep, that's I, and that's a good show too. Yeah, that's a that's really awesome. Um and and these guys like and and honestly, I I can't say that I use these big huge survival knives that no you, you well, know you know and I'll I can segue this into a into another into another issue that's going on once again copying my design he's copying my design oh he's, that's a that's a that's a real hot button issue right now that I don't know <laughs> that we should get into well, I, I'm I, I'm gonna make this real generic okay okay and 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 you know, because I've been in this business for a long, long, long time, I have heard it all. Yeah. I have heard it all. He stole my design. He stole my design. Okay. I have no place in my life for the people that are in China that are literally making knockoffs where you, where you, if you look at them from three feet away, you cannot tell that one is not the other. Yeah. If they're not made by the same maker. If they're, you know, the they have the logos, they have everything. That is that is a th- that makes me crazy. Okay. Okay. Take that out of the mix. My response to any of these makers that say, "Oh, he copied me. He took," I say this. Everything has been done before. Yeah. If it's not been done before. It's because it was too stupid of an idea. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So did you, did you, is your design, if you look at it close, has it been done before? I think so. If they say no, you say really? Then it must be too stupid of an idea if it wasn't. Right, well, you know, okay. So, and, I, and I'm not talking about patentable locks and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about blade shapes. Oh, his blade shape is exactly like mine. You know, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Okay, can can I can I play devil's advocate here? Yeah. Okay, I have literally been in the office of uh, different companies when they have been taking blade shapes and blade designs and photoshopping that and tweaking a couple things and turning it into something new. Of course. I've literally seen that. Okay, so everybody does that. That's, well, and that's my point. Right. If but you take a, um, uh, for example, if you've got some wicked, stupid blade shape, and somebody makes a wicked, stupid blade shape, that shape, because you did it, yeah. Um, there's going to be enough differences in it that you can't say that he copied me. Right. Okay, so now let me play devil's advocate I mean, advocate you, you, can chase, you can chase all of these blade shapes... Back to some other earlier blade shape. Right. Every single one of them. Every but, one of them that's ever been done. Okay, let me go back to... Um, let me play devil's advocate again. Okay. Um, if you... Would you agree that certain knife makers, if you see a knife made by them, you know it was made by them? Andy Roy, Fiddleback Forge. Jimmy Lyle. No, uh, I would say I would say not Andy Roy because Andy Roy's stuff looks like other people's stuff. Except that if you show me ten pictures of a knife um, and one of them is the, an Andy Roy, I can pick it out. The only reason is because he puts those little 
because he has that uh, yeah, the way okay. he does his pinhole. Okay, okay, so that's an element of Andy Roy's style. Okay, so yes, I'm not. I'm but not it's making, not. The, I'm talking about right, blade right. shape. Yeah, blade shape is BS. I'm. But but what I'm what I'm getting <laughs> at here is knife makers can develop a style. Okay, yes. same thing with uh, um, Jimmy Lyle has a style. And if I see right. a Jimmy Lyle knife, I know it's a Jimmy Lyle knife. If I see right. um, a Bark River knife, I I know it's a Bark River knife. You know, even even some of the, the the makers that are now doing stuff with Bark River, it's a new maker, but I still see Bark River when I see that knife. A right. lot of times, not every time, but sometimes I you know. Uh, and then there there are other makers that have kind of developed their own style, like TM Hunt. If I see mm-hmm. a TM Hunt knife, even if I don't see the maker's mark, I know who made it, right? So there are identifiable identifiable style features, and people get into the way of doing things a certain way. Um, and but, when you but, see somebody take those elements from you and and put it into basically a knife, because I've seen this before. You can you you can take a knife that somebody made that has elements of a certain style in it, and put that into Photoshop, and then take this new knife with maybe one little change and superimpose it, and you can't tell the difference. And not only that, they ripped off a couple of the style elements that they've never done before, but all of a sudden they're doing it for that one knife. And I've seen that before, you know. So there is actual theft. And, and it's, but it, it's 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 actually kind of rare, I would say. I'm I'm talking about I'm talking about the blade shapes. Yeah. I'm not talking no, about. You're right. You're right. I'm yeah. not I'm not ta- I'm not I'm not talking about. I, and I get your point because you yeah. got like the way your pin arrangement is in your in your hand, or just just the way you're yeah. the way you um uh like like the way Andy does his uh, lanyard holes, where he does like a like three layers like. Th- like two pin, you know, it's like a, there's a design in it. There's like, yeah, um, there's like the lanyard hole, and then there's like a layer of micarta, and then another and pin just, on the outside. And they just they just look that. a certain way, and then yeah. I, and then I can even tell one of his direct students, Andy Fletcher. Uh, I can tell that Andy Fletcher made it, or that Fletcher Dylan Fletcher. I'm sorry, Dylan Fletcher made it, and not Andy Roy. But I recognize elements of well, it's, Andy well, it's Roy's interesting style. You said and that Dylan, too, because yeah. I, I I was. Uh, I took some uh, um, years and years ago. I was working. I worked with Tim Zawada uh-huh. and um, forged a couple blades. Uh, and you know, because he was helping me do it, it was when I first kind of got started, and it was like one of the first forgings I did. Yeah. Um, they look remarkably like Tim Zawada knives. Yeah. Yeah, because he taught you. Well, and then, and then, uh, uh, you know, the the other thing I would say is that I I really learned the mechanical aspects of knife knife making from Mike Stewart at Bark River Knives. Mm-hmm. Period. And and in fact, the the first few knives that I made, uh, specifically the Versteg Bowie, mm-hmm. uh, Mike helped with that. I I went back and forth went back and forth with Mike over Facebook. You know, I'd, I'd send him a design, and it's, I'd say, what would you tweak? And he would tweak it. And I actually incorporated his changes. So the first few knives that I made were absolutely, um, you can see Mike Stewart in that. And you can mm-hmm. you can see other stuff in there, but you can definitely see Mike Stewart. And especially in my finished products, even today, because I use the same 
um, the same process, basically, that they do for right. most of my stuff. So you can see Mike Stewart in just about everything I make if you know what you're looking for. Um, right. But but to, but, but to think that but to think that um, uh, a blade design. Yeah, you're right on that. Is is I can't argue know, that. I can't you know, argue that. They all of I mean, you can trace all of those back to ancient like Roman said, times. Exactly, or before. Go to fucking you Smoky know. Mountain Knife Works and walk yeah. around there, uh, or yep. the International Knife Museum. You know, you can you can trace the, these shapes back forever. I'm never going to argue that, but. Okay, well, here's look, an example. Look at, even to the point of a, of a um, there was a knife that was done in the 1800s, and it looked like the like a Buckmaster knife. Yeah. I mean, with the with the with the frickin' probes and everything on it. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, I mean, it's, it's eventually even even if you even if you are completely independent of and don't have access to all of these resources, but if you actually use knives and you're designing things around use, eventually you're going to arrive at the same blade shapes as everybody else. Right. You know, what What I'm more talking about is elements of the style and things like that. Right, right. And, and, and that, we, and that we is, have and to that agree that there are rip-offs in that, in that way. Yep, 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 um, yep. Okay, so just as an example that you can spot who made a knife, right? Uh I just did a Google Images search for Nesmuk, and the uh, second uh, knife that comes up is a black knife uh, with no visible maker's mark on it, and I can tell you exactly who fucking made that, absolutely positively. Uh, Mike Stewart made that, and I'm going to click through, visit page, and it's on. Uh, it ends up on The Truth About Knives. Uh, and yes, it is. Uh, image source for that was www.barkriverknives.com, and it's uh, got limited edition p- printed on the right side of the page. Absolutely, positively, without a doubt, I know who made that. And there you heard it live, you know. Mm-hmm. And and there's there's certain makers like that that absolutely have their own style that you can you can always tell. Right. Um, uh, right. Anyway. But if you notice, all those Nussbuck knives have a have a very similar hump on the back. Yeah, and and then I just found another image where somebody took a Green River and just broke the tip off of it, and it looks right. exactly like that. Right. I think, and I think that that's what actually happened. I think yeah. that originally, that's what happened. And you know, he didn't use it, and it's probably why. <laughs> It's probably why he started carrying a hatchet. Yeah, because <laughs> he broke it trying to do something. Um, probably he was trying to pry some firewood apart, and he broke his knife. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm. That's yeah, the what I'm next, the with next that time story. he got into town, he he put it on a grinding wheel and just rounded it off a little bit, so there weren't the sharp edges. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. I might make one and of those the, and with the, the, and the issue, handle and stuff. The, listen, the issue yeah. with these is the fact that they're not made to be. Uh, a pry pry tool. No. They're not made to be a uh, to baton through wood. They're not made to do any of that stuff. They were. I mean, to me, it looks. It's always looked like a skinning knife of some yeah. kind. Yeah. And what and what guys have done is they've went ahead and they've taken these blades and they. Uh, I mean, I think if you uh, if you look at a at a forest knife, I think you'll find that the undercurve of that is almost the same. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, of, of, because of that continuous curve. 
Exactly. And, and, exactly. And, and, and if I would have, if I would say something that I think is an absolutely crucial thing in um, knife design for function, uh, in in a lot of cases, it's it's having not having a straight across blade at the bottom. There being a, right. it doesn't have to be a, a, a really obvious curve like that. It can be very gentle. But just having a little bit of a gentle curve across that bottom makes that knife function so damn much better. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Well, here's a... here's a uh, Listen, I'm going to send you a link. Um, in, a, in another... Uh, Hang on a second. Download, 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 add link, link, copy link. Okay. Where does that go? I'm going to send you a link over Skype. Okay. I don't know if I know how to get those, but okay. Well, I think there's a chat. There's a yeah, chat Yeah, okay. Thing so I have up. the chat thing open here. Let's see if it okay. shows up here. There okay. You go. Let me look. Uh, I got a redirect thing. Right. Click on that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Ne- Nesmuck knife owners, please help. <laughs> Okay, so see that uh, that's a that's a um, it's a one from um, knife or knife forums, my yeah. old website. Oh shit! Look None it down the like the third or fourth right post picture. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a Bark River knife. That one is. Yep, that's Bark River's first Nesmuk. Yeah, the the primitive Nesmuk one. No, nope, no. Nope. Above About that. The, let's see. You got one. I, I a lot of these images are broken. There's a, a okay. CS3 Nesmuk, but that does not look like a Bark River because it has a well, it says it says it. right below it says Bark River Nesmuk right above yeah. it. Yeah, it's that, in uh, Tim Stetzer's. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I that absolutely is a Bark River, and I could have told you without even looking at that. Yep, that's a Bark yep. River. But even that's more that's more Bark River than the other one. Yeah, because because this that one handle actually, because yeah, that handle is Mike's handle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so, so we're agreeing that there are elements of a style that can, um, but yeah, but let me tell you this, what, what Mike's handle is actually Bob Loveless's handle. Yeah. Well, and so, so here's the other thing I would say is that, <laughs> so, if you, if so you, you go, okay, you go, that's yeah, a design element, right. that's a design element that's, that's unique to Bark River, but it's Bark River's take on it. I, if you, if you, again, I've gone through the old Nesm or the, not Nesmuk, but the Loveless books, and I yep. can see, because Mike worked with, uh, Loveless, didn't he? Yeah. Well, like he pretty, knew him. I don't know if he actually worked with well, him. Well, I think him. I think they had a a pretty involved mentorship type of relationship, from what I remember. But I could be wrong about that. That's for somebody else to correct mm-hmm. the record. But you can see a lot of Bob Lovelace's style coming through in Mike's style. But Mike's style is still fucking Mike's style. Yeah. You you can you can post me a link to a Lovelace knife, and I'll tell you it's a Lovelace knife. Unless somebody is directly copying everything of a loveless knife, I'll be able to tell, you know. And it's the same thing with 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 Mike's stuff. He's he's got a certain look, you know. And it's like if you see a Van Gogh painting, you can tell it's a Van Gogh painting. And I'm right. not saying that any of these things are on the level culturally or artistically that a you know a, a great master's painting is. But what I'm mainly making the argument here for is pattern recognition. 
and style recognition. The other way um, you find that, one of the big breakthroughs I had in medical school was in histology class. And in histology class, um, this guy, uh, I think his name was Tesler. Anyway, he was a histology teacher that had been there forever, and he was kind of a hard ass. And uh, he actually taught my dad histology. And <laughs> one of the things, I was looking at these slides and stuff, and, and Tesler came over, and he's, he whipped out a slide and put it under there, and he goes, what's this? And I, I was looking and trying to figure out exactly what I was seeing, and he's like, just back up a second. You've seen that before. It's like looking at a painting, Okay, do you know what a Van Gogh is when you see it? And I said, yes. And he said, so that's what you need to look for. You need to look for, anytime you have a slide, look for the um, look for the elements of the style in that particular kind of tissue. And that was like the eureka moment. From that, from that time on, I never missed another question in histology. And I'm still fucking good at it, even though I don't do it. Um, but, but that's, that's a big thing looking at knives and, and, you know, those sorts of things. It's a, it's all pattern recognition. Um, anyway, um, we probably beat that one. Morels. Morels.gov.org.nasty. <laughs> it's going to be like two weeks before they're up for you because I've only found four and they were well, the whites. It, and, and I have to laugh because my, um, my son-in-law says, I don't know why so many people are going out looking for them yet. They're not even close. Well, not up by He's, you, certainly. He says, he says finding one is not finding morels. He said, when I go out, I want to get a bag full. Yeah, yeah. He said, otherwise, it's a waste of my time. It's another week <laughs> And at I least. start laughing, and I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah. He says, I don't go hunting morels. He says, I go picking morels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I laugh. He's like, yeah. He says, he says, You'll find an occasional one or two. They're finding them one or two of them up here now. Yeah, yeah. One or two happens to be where the sun is shining real in the, a real good spot. Yeah, the average soil temperature is up in that location just a little bit. Right, exactly. Yeah. But in our in mostly in our woods it's not. It's still yeah. pretty damn cold. Well, we that's had 25 degrees last night. Yeah, well that's that's the way it is where I'm at too, but I think we need some days that are consistently above 60. Um, right. So right. And with, you need nights nights above 30. Yeah, so some, some morel uh, picking tips <clears throat> that I have, having picked them my whole life. Number one, walk around looking at the ground. <laughs> That's it. Yep. Uh, number two, if you spot a morel, don't move. There's a bee on your head. Think of it that way, okay? Because if you take another step, you're probably going to step on a morel because they grow in clusters. So if you spot something, stop and look. Tip number three is uh, take a knife with you and cut it off at the base because those morels grow off of something called mycelium, which is like uh, the mushroom version of a big root structure. And if you just pluck it out of the ground, you're going to destroy that root structure. So uh, mushrooms that I picked last year uh, have grown up in, a, in an identical spot this year because I respected that mycelium. Uh, and those are that's really it. You, you probably you don't even need to be in the woods. Um, you no. know where my office is, we have like cedar chip like planters and stuff. Uh, and last year I found a morel growing in there. 
<laughs> really? Yeah, for reals. That's so, pretty awesome. Yeah, so you don't even really need to be in the woods, but you, obviously you're going to have a lot better time of it. I know, I know I have a friend of mine that catches that uh, catches them, finds them in the inner cow pasture. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right, right on the edge of the woods. Stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, actually, the, the places where I find them the most are on the edge of um, a little bit of an open spot uh, with uh, wood, dense woods behind it. Um, you know, some some place it's going to get a little bit of a uh, little bit of sun exposure and stuff like that. Now I have a suggestion, okay, for our listeners. Uh, I'm approaching to podiums. Uh, <laughs> uh, take uh, some of your wild mushrooms. Now I freeze them. Okay, so the way I freeze them is I clean them. And I, I don't soak them in salt water. That's all bullshit. What I do is I take them, I wash them off real quick, and I catch all of that water that I'm washing them off with because there's going to be gozillions of spores in there. And I slice them in half, and you will find the slugs on the inside. And then I wash it with more water until those sluggies are off of there. And then I dry them, and once I'm sure they're absolutely clean, I put them on a plate and put them directly into the freezer. And then they will freeze with their shape intact. Then after they're frozen, I put them in a food saver and vacuum seal them. So I have mushrooms that I collected last year that are still perfectly good and perfectly have their shape. Um, So that's a tip. Now the other tip is what do you want to make with these? I'm encouraging our listeners to think outside of the box. So I'm going to give you a recipe from the 1954 edition of the Soviet cookbook. <laughs> Are you ready? I mean, you're not telling them just to fry them in butter? No, because there's so much more you can do with them. Do you remember that time I made you the ones with polenta and oh yeah, and thyme oh, yeah. and roasted and okay, so uh, here you go from the 1954 edition of the Soviet cookbook and that. Um, <clears throat> You got to talk like the Soviet. Uh, I'm I'm no good at that. Except I could be more bitter. I'd be like, okay, from the 1954 edition of the Soviet cookbook. Because this is the did... only this is the only cookbook that we have. Yeah, because <laughs> you see, we don't have we're not soft like you, and we don't have noodles. We only have <laughs> we have limited supplies. Yes. Fuck you and your stupid capitalism. Anyway. <laughs> like every time I've ever talked to an actual Soviet, remember that time those two came to uh, yeah. Mike's? Oh, it's yeah. it's it's that. It's like yeah, y- you know, <laughs> you know, just so pissed <laughs> off. You know. Anyway, um, from the 1954 edition of the Soviet cookbook, this is a recipe for beef stroganoff. You need a pound of beef, sliced thin, probably something that you can see the jockey marks in. Uh, see the marks where the jockey was hitting it. Two very small onions because they probably had a drought that year. and <laughs> Could not grow big onions. Yeah, three tablespoons of butter, salt and pepper, one tablespoon of flour, three quarters cups of sour cream, and Tabasco. So what you're going to do is you're going to take your beef, well, and some mushrooms too. And for mushrooms, of course, they're going to use uh, wild mushrooms. So I'm going to say morels. And let's say we can't get onions. I'm going to suggest going out in the woods and getting some ramps. So this is a recipe for ramps and morel beef stroganoff. So you take your beef, you slice it up, uh, and you're going to take your mushrooms and onions and uh, saute those briefly. 
and then add in the beef and saute that briefly just till it loses its red color. Uh, and, and you're sauteing this in butter. And then uh, you're going to add that tablespoon of flour that I talked about, a little salt and pepper. You're going to cook that two to three minutes till it starts to thicken up a bit because that's going to form a little bit of juice. Then you're going to add three quarters cups of sour cream and a little bit of Tabasco. Stir it up till it looks like it's combined and serve it over fried potatoes. Because in 1954 in Soviet, they did not have fried potatoes. <laughs> they were having a, a noodle shortage. And then, I mean, there's a, a ton of other recipes. But anyway, just try it. Instead of using onions and um, store-bought mushrooms, try it with uh, morels. I think you'll, yeah. you'll be excited. Yep. So, uh, God, I had something on the tip of my tongue. Excuse me. I had something on the tip of my tongue I wanted to say. Uh, <laughs> probably <laughs> keep your knives sharp and your friend sharper. Or your friend sharper and your knife sharper. Could be. I, could be. I, could be. I could have said that. Or it's about that time. I was going to say that I've been riding my bike. I wish it would freaking warm up. Uh, yeah. So now you now you, uh, now you, you will be introduced into the disappointment of having a bike and it being too cold to ride it. Yeah. Well, you know what I did? I, ro- I, went, uh, I went about, I don't know, 50, about 100 miles last Saturday. Um, That's down a ride to my son, on that bike. On my son's uh, ride, on, down to my son's house. Right. And um, but I I have done I, I invested in a pair of chaps. I never had a pair of chaps before. Okay. And uh, I invested in a pair of chaps, and man, it made a big difference. Did it? That that made a big difference. Well, because then it's the only a, thing that was cold was my balls, wind, huh? It, it's a fantastic windbreaker. Yes. Because yes. wind is not going to blow through leather. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and the only thing that got cold with the chap, you know, and it made me think about uh, leather pants. Rather than uh, leather chaps, because like I said, my balls got cold. <laughs> yeah, well. Because you, because when your knees are in the breeze, you know, it just funnels that right up the center. <laughs> yeah, that, this happens. So, but um, yeah, the uh, the ashless chaps is a really good, uh, uh, really good riding piece of kit. Um, and so the other thing that I did. Uh, uh, and it's on its way. Is a uh, I got a little a little rack to go on the back behind the seat. Cool. So that I can put a bedroll on it. Cool. Because I think I'm gonna go uh, scrambler camping. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yep. Scrambler um, camping. Yeah. Just just do a little mini pack. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, uh, before I forget, um, I wanted to give credit to uh, Dan who started Slip Joint Addicts. It's a Facebook page. I encourage everybody to like it. Uh, I would never have known about that Benchmade Proper if he, and I'm probably saying it wrong, and people are probably going to write all kinds of shit. Anyway, I uh, I never would have known about that unless he'd posted a link to that knifenews.com um, article. So thanks mm-hmm, to him, mm-hmm. be sure you like it. Now, didn't we get an email from somebody? I think we got an email. Yeah. When? Today? No, 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 no. I, I don't get them. You get them, and then you have to forward them to me. It was uh, <laughs> it was from uh, Corey Murphy, and he was talking oh. about the the. Did I forward order. that back to you? Yeah, you forwarded, forwarded it to forwarded me, to but you. I I'm not seeing it right now. Okay, hang on a second. Let me find it. Let me see if I can find it too. Oh, here it is. I got it. Okay, so I'll read it. 
Okay, so this is Corey Murphy of Murph Nuge Podcast fame and also TM Hunt Custom Knives. He, as you know, is the co-designer of the famous TM Hunt Custom Knives M18, one of my all-time favorite knives. Anyway, he says, uh, listening to Podcast 101, you guys got me thinking about doing bad things and having orders in writing. I've been reading uh, Killing the Rising Sun by Bill O'Reilly and uh, Martin Dugard. They tell of a general ordered to inform General MacArthur of the intent to drop the A-bomb. General Spatz was at the time the newly appointed commander of the U.S. Army Strategic Air Forces in uh, the Pacific. And he's got in parentheses U.S.A.S.T.A.F. Um, and because they love those fucking names that really don't mean, mean anything to me, uh, they just like to have a letter for every word. <laughs> uh, anyway, he says, uh, he requested the notice to be put into writing. He was so insistent it was bordering on insubordination. And, and then he says, quote, if I'm going to kill 100,000 people, I'm not doing it on verbal orders. Orders. I want a piece of paper. And he says, glad to see you all back. So that was a email we got. You guys can always email us. Uh, we try to make it really, really uh, interactive. I mean, the best we can. You know, we're not perfect. Um, what do you want to do? I gotta go. Oh, well, you gotta go. We gotta go. Uh, All right. Maybe next. So time we'll I guess it's uh, for now. It's uh, 102 is uh, gonna be on the books here shortly. And uh, so just uh, get out there, look for morels. Um, Get out in the woods. It's, the rhubarb. You know, the snow is gone. Suckers need to go harvest some rhubarb. And rhubarb, yeah. I got I got rhubarb like crazy. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, keep your knife sharp and your friend sharper, boys. See you next time. Bye. Bye bye.